Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Geopolitical Pico. Today, here we are at the 11th Geopolitical Conference hosted by Charles University. This year's topic is the geopolitical power shifts in the contemporary world. After a day of insightful presentations, we're sitting down with three of the day's speakers to dive a little bit deeper into this topic and get their opinions on the geopolitical situation in the international system. We're really happy to have today the Dr. Peter Yeltsov. He's the department chair of the Joint Special Operation Master of Arts and associate professor of international security studies for the National Defense University of the United States. Thank you for being here. We also have Mr. Ivan Barlow. He's the chairman of Executive Outcomes and he's uh, an author of several books on not just security, but also warfare in Africa. Thank you, Mr. Bardo, for being here. And we also have Professor Bohumil Dobos. He's a lecturer in geopolitical studies master in Charles University in Prague. So now we would like to ask you a couple of things about geopolitics. Great, so jumping right in with the first question, uh, I wanted to ask, you know, after the pandemic and now the war in Ukraine, people are starting to feel like the world is very uncertain and unpredictable. So do you feel that the world is really a more anarchic, anarchic place and an unpredictable place than it was, say, 20 or 30 years ago? Do you want to start? Sure. Uh, so, um, yeah, I absolutely think this is the case. This is probably the most dangerous uh, time, period, and zeitgeist right now since, I would say, the Cuban Missile Crisis. After the Cuban Missile Crisis, there was a balance of power and, this, and, and a kind of a mutual respect. Now in politics, there are no respect, no rules. Uh, just a few years ago when I started working, say like seven or eight years ago when I started working at the National Defense University, there was a formula in the, uh, in the Pentagon, four plus one, which went China, uh, Russia, North Korea, Iran plus radical Sunni Islam. Right now, there is no formula. Right now is a complete disbalance of power. And it's not even about um, great power competition. It's what Department of Defense in the US defines as a strategic competition because the great power, it's not even clear who are great powers because there are emerging powers which are as significant. For example, Turkey, Iran, uh, some South American countries, India, so yes, it is uh, the most frightening period definitely in my life, and I think since the, uh, since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, I think African, which I can semi-talk about, um, has always been a very complex political environment. It's also a very dynamic environment, and I think it's also been subjected to many different influences. Um, and of course, foreign powers trying to take control of certain African governments in terms of the resources um, because it increases their influence and their interests. So I think given the current um, unfolding of the conflict in, in Ukraine, I think the impact on Africa is going to be very big. And I also think Africa has to start looking at how is that going to impact on Africa. We're not only talking, as we discussed in the conference, on the military side of things. We're looking at food security, we're looking at energy security. And I think the impact is going to be massive. So yes, I think our times are becoming a lot more unpredictable. Um, and I think oftentimes we're not prepared for what's coming. And I think we're not prepared for what's coming because we haven't been able to um, apply predictive intelligence and actually readjust our national strategies accordingly. Yeah, I would add to that just two small comments. First of all, 
what we can see nowadays is basically shattering of the modern system which was in the making for the past 20 years. After the end of the Cold War, we can see hollowing up of the whole system, the facade of stability which was being kept, that needed to end at some point. It was never sustainable, meaning that uh, yes, we are now in more unpredictable world, but this doesn't mean that uh, such an era will not end soon, that we will not find new balance. We just need to think about solutions beyond the model that was uh, forced until upon the international system in 1945. And second of all, what is very important to highlight is the fact that many of the instability we feel right now is felt in many parts of the world just because of the spread of the new technologies. If there was huge amounts of instability in Sub-Saharan Africa in the 1990s, majority of the people simply didn't care because they didn't see the images. Right now, you have an instant messaging from any conflict around the world, which further strengthens our feelings of the instability. So, I wouldn't say necessarily that we see some massive increase. Of course, I would agree that there is an increase in instability. But large segment of it is just our perception because we suddenly see what is happening in the world. Following with this, you've mentioned that there's uh, actors that are coming up and down. I want, I want to ask one particular question and is, we started the 20, well, we, after 1945, we were in, a, in an era of bipolarity characterized by the clash between the West and the East. Uh, after, the, after the Soviet Union fell, there we entered an era of unipolarity where the United States was the superpower that was uh, reaching everywhere in the world. And now it seems like there are other powers that either economically or military security, cybersecurity, they're threatening this, uh, this uh, hegemony of the United States in the, in the system. And it seems like we are going into multipolarity. Would you agree with this statement? And if so, what does a multipolar world for you look like? Well, I agree with this statement, yes. Uh, unfortunately, that's actually really what Vladimir Putin keeps talking about, that, uh, but he's right in that instance. Uh, the US, um, I don't think, has as uh, a genuinely today as it used to have, and even uh, European countries are much more independent in their decision-making. What it means with the rising powers, a country like Turkey, in my view, is not really a member of NATO anymore. I mean, they are, but it's, I mean, what they're doing, for example, with Putin on negotiations on Ukraine, also in the Caucasus, uh, a recent war between Georgia and Azerbaijan, they're pretty much a rising uh, global power. And what it means that basically organizations like the United Nations uh, that exist in World War, which you mentioned, are today irrelevant. It's really we are returning back to the geopolitics of 1939 or possibly even 1913, which is even more frightening. Yeah, I, I would agree um, to a point, but then again I would also point out that Africa was never really part of the traditional East versus West conflict. We were part of the battleground. And I think many lessons were learned in Africa during that period. Because from the one side we were taught about democracy and free markets, on the other side about communism and socialism. And a lot of those ideas became absorbed and taken where necessary and incorporated into the way governments govern. Um, but I think, and as, as Boemel correctly pointed out, people are now becoming more aware of what's happening, um, especially as the media has become increasingly weaponized and increasingly prevalent um, across Africa. So I think people are becoming more aware. 
And as they are becoming more aware of things that's happening, not only in their environment, but beyond their environment, it's impacting the way they think and also making them realize that there are other options open to them. And I think sometimes it's those options that create challenges we are unprepared for. Like, quite obviously, we can see this integration of uh, the power, which is obviously uh, usually connected to multipolarism. And of course, this might be the outcome. However, we might also think of different outcome, and that is something that might be called apolarism, when parts of the world simply won't be dominated by anyone, because all of this idea of poles is directly connected to the fact that you have strong political actors who are capable of holding power, which in many parts of the world is no longer the case. And if this trend continues, we might see significant portions of the world, uh, as even correctly pointed out, Africa was this case like since the process of decolonization, where you actually won't have these poles and they might not even interfere anymore. We can see alternative uh, power actors appearing, which will bring some completely different uh, working of the international politics into the system. So yeah, we might see rise of multipolarity, more actors being competing with some regional interests, etc. Or we might even see system of apolarity, which will bring more, let's say, instability from the traditional uh, realist point of view. And I think, if I may just add something to that, we, um, on our continent, we find large tracts of land that are actually ungoverned, and it's those ungoverned spaces that give rise to safe havens for these non-state actors um, or anti-government forces. And I think it's simply because governments don't have the reach. And we can go into why governments don't have the reach, etc. But I think what it is creating is it is creating a problem that needs to be um, addressed as soon as possible in order to try and bring back some stability into states. Yeah, so I think that leads well into our next question, which is looking forward in the future, what do you think are the top three issues or topics that are going to shape the international system? I think um, major perturbations may happen in Eurasia uh, to Russia. Uh, it may actually disintegrate, uh, and it could be a complete catastrophe. Uh, it could become worse before it becomes better in terms of like even after Putin, uh, maybe even a stronger dictator for some time. The second thing, I think in Europe we may see some major perturbations, like for example, I would predict that um, Front National in France has a very strong chance next time to win. As 27-year-old leader is replacing Le Pen, he will be 32, very charismatic, and the policy, if you look at the policy of Le Pen, if he steps with this policy, France will leave NATO, will leave EU, will recognize Crimea uh, as parts of Russia, uh, imagine those geopolitical changes in the middle of Europe, and that would lead to the number three, uh, which is, I think, some countries which we already see, like Italy uh, selected a very right-wing uh, prime minister. So uh, something may happen actually to NATO uh, with some countries maybe potentially even leaving it, or it just will not be as important. But in addition, we may see the emergence of new political alliances which is a very anti-Russian. Uh, so Poland, Baltic states, Norway, uh, the UK. So we may see actually this split of Europe. It's still possible. Right now it's united on the wave of uh, the war in Ukraine, but it may not last very long. 
Yeah, I think um, our problem, and, and probably the biggest one, is poverty. Um, and I think that poverty has been created through numerous reasons or, or factors that um, influence the, the growth of poverty. But I think throughout that we've seen people become more and more determined to forge a better life for themselves. We have a huge unemployment problem. And part of that is very educated people that are unemployed. And I think therein lies a big danger um, because those educated people could be gainfully employed to boost economies, but oftentimes economic policies do not allow that to happen, and the whole country suffers as a consequence. And really go back and look at why do conflicts start in Africa. They're often caused in, in areas that are, are, are very poor, but are still rich in resources. And when you have people who live in a country where there are, are many resources, but poverty sort of rules everyone, people start thinking of other ways in which to improve their lot. And then of course you have the outside influences that come in to either harness those people as a proxy force, or as part of a religious uprising, or even cessation of states. And I think those are the biggest problems Africa faces at the moment. And I mean, within that, of course, are the energy, the food crisis, medical, education, etc. So I think we have many challenges and I think there are answers to those challenges. There are ways in which they can be addressed. But I think sometimes politicians become so caught up in a specific problem that they miss the other options that are, are really there for them. Yeah, you mentioned three, right? So, yeah. You can do two, you can do five if you want. Yeah. So the first one would be, from the political side, greater differentiation between types of entities we will see, where we need to count with. Not only states, but also institutions, uh, corporations, while and state actors, all of these. We need to count with the fact that there will be higher number of, or high, higher number of types of entities we need to work with, which will definitely impact how the international system is being run. It will get more disorganized, and this, this is basically something that I think will have a huge impact. Second of all, climate change. Without doubt, this will make huge parts of the world uninhabitable, which will make huge changes for the global geopolitics, and it will have, in my opinion, a huge impact. And the third are technological developments. Whether we will manage to find more reliable sources of energy that will be sustainable, which is crucial for the development of stuff like quantum computing, etc. We've been talking about it in here in the conference. And also the utilization of space resources, which uh, still seems like a far-fetched stuff. However, if we can harness the mining of uh, rare minerals from different celestial bodies, we basically have a great advantage towards the modernizing of economies all over the world for basically little money. So the technological development, climate change, and the differentiation between political units would be my answer. Wonderful, thank you. I would like to ask one question because well, obviously we're in the 11th, and this is the last question, we're in the 11th geopolitical conference. And um, in geopolitics, the part that makes it different is the, is the importance that we give to geography. Do you think that geography has become, has come back to be more important now in this last uh, year, especially with, the, with uh, territorial conflicts, uh, with uh, interstate conflicts? Particularly, obviously, we have now the Russian invasion in Ukraine. Do you think geography and does geopolitics right now is necessary 
more than before to understand the international situation? Yes, unfortunately. And I would say, not geography specifically, yes, it's connected to geography, but when you brought up territorial conflict, territorial conflict, territorial identity. Um, I hate to cite uh, this uh, political scientist Carl Schmidt because he was a Nazi sympathizer, but he's a still a very famous thinker and scholar, and he had a book, The Nomos of the Earth, written after World War II, where he was talking that the entire history of Europe is war. It's true. 60 years. So you think about it, it's frightening. If Putin today, first time since World War II, talks about identity, territorial identity, this is the Russian plan. What's going to happen if that question is raised again in Europe? Hopefully not. But it may, and of course in the world, that creates that kind of a precedent. And it's not comparable. He compares it with the disintegration of Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia was disintegrating, and uh, Kosovo did not become part of Albania. So there was a very, very different case. But, but this precedent, yes, geography and territory will play an important role like, uh, quote unquote, all good imperial days of great empires. Yeah, I think um, also you have to um, consider the fact that on the continent I live on, we have many deficits. Um, if we look at what is constituted as power, um, many governments do not have the ability to project domestic power, let alone um, regional power. And I think that makes the, the whole concept of territoriality and sovereignty of the state puts that at risk. Um, and that risk factor is exploited by other non-state actors and often state actors. So I think we are, we are witnessing um, the results of having deficits in terms of knowledge our economies and our ability to project power or military power to safeguard the state because ultimately what safeguards the country, the territory of the country and the sovereignty, you defend that but to do that you need money. To develop those systems you need knowledge, a knowledge power base and I think there we fall flat at times. I don't agree that geography is more important than ever, that geopolitics is more important than ever. We just forget about it for like 20 years. A lot of policymakers were trying to hide the fact that geography and geopolitics matter, but it was important the same in the 90s as it is today, but in the 90s no one talked about it because it was the era of cooperation, eternal peace, which was never the case. Like, it was just a huge utopia. And even back then, geopolitics was important, geography was important. It was just wasn't paid attention to. So I would say it's still important today as it was in the past. But today, like due to the events, uh, more attention is being paid to that. But I believe that there was an honest geopolitical analysis being made throughout the 1990s. We could have beware of many of the uh, negative consequences we can see nowadays. Yeah, but I go back to what I say. We've we've not been able to harness predictive intelligence. Yeah. Um, and had we been able to do that, it, it's not as though it would give us the looking glass or the, the, the hidden eye in which to see the future, but at least we'd have been able to prepare for some of the problems we have. And that's why I continually, and, and Weimel knows this, speak of the need for intelligence to guide strategies. Um, because if you develop a strategy with no intelligence, what are you actually doing? Um, and geopolitics, or strategy becomes part of the geopolitics. 
So if you're doing all of this by thinking of what could come instead of by basing it on fact, you almost negate the importance of what you should be doing and then you suffer the consequences. And uh, if I may uh, add a, a brief comment, I did not mean to say that geography is today is more important than ever. I absolutely agree with Bohemil. Geopolitics has been always there, yeah. always. It's just different degrees. But what's really new today is the fact since at least the end of the Cold War, there was no direct territorial grabs. So you can say like oh, Putin's propaganda compares um, the annexation of Crimea with the annexation of Texas. Fine, I agree, but that was 150 years ago, yes. The American-Mexican War, the United States got a whole chunk of Mexican land, basically California, all like American Southwest, by, by those principles, Mexico should get it back from the United States and start a war and, and justify that. So the president today is scary that uh, one country is trying to annex and eliminate. Putin is lying now in the beginning of the war. The plan was clearly to eliminate Ukraine, period. There will be no Ukraine any longer. It will be part of Russia, Great Russia. So this is definitely, at least in the last, since World War II, that's for the first time it's happening. Yeah, I just, if I right. may add to that, uh, you're definitely right. I definitely agree right. with this reading. Uh, however, we already have seen uh, signs of deterioration of this regime in the 1990s. If you look, for example, at the border uh, border conflict between Ethiopia and Eritrea, it was also yeah. about annexation of the parts right. of territory. Mm -hmm. So, But these were conflicts that were not consequential for the international regime, definitely. But we didn't pay attention to this happening, and it escalated to the point when Putin, Putin has this genocidal idea about Ukraine. You brought, I'm very happy you brought Eritrea. It's true we are still very Western-centric. Yeah. Another great example, uh, NATO went to war in former Yugoslavia a year after a genocide in Rwanda. In Rwanda, hundreds of thousands, we don't even know, I read statistics, hundreds of thousands killed in a matter of weeks. In Europe, we went to, because of the genocide in Srebrenica, which had maybe seven, 8,000 people killed. So, like, I agree with you that we are looking very Western type, but the scale of Russia and Ukraine is also scary because uh, uh, Eritrea, I agree we are super Western focused. There have been cases of state-to-state -state war with attempts to, to annex territory, but... Yeah. But don't you think geopolitics has really become prominent because of the media? Twenty years ago, people weren't aware of many things. Now they're aware of it. And it's really who dominates that space of, or the informational domain, whose narrative gets across to people. But that can be used very effectively to propagate a specific geopolitical agenda. Well, the 30 years war actually started here in Prague. I mean, had also, uh, people were aware of geopolitics. There was no media, so I'm not sure I agree. You can definitely influence, like, uh, try to do an information war, influence the Patsy of the former Soviet Union, or whether it's in Africa or elsewhere. But I don't think that media per se uh, brings ge geopolitics to the fore. I would add to that just that uh, due to the current events in the past 10 years, let's say, and the utilization of liberal geopolitics by media, not that like geopolitical analysis would be more prominent, just the word geopolitics is showing up more. Right. Even though majority of the population is using it wrong. Meaning geopolitics, anything about international politics, which is definitely not the case. 
So yeah, I would agree about the perceptions, about the importance of the information media. I would agree with the fact that the word geopolitics showing up more. Actually, I have troubles with the impacts of the geopolitical analysis because a lot of people who are claiming to do that are actually doing something completely different. Well, then if they are doing something completely different, they should definitely join the Masters in Geopolitics from Charles University. Um, thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Elsoff. Thank you very much, Mr. Barlow. Thank you very much, Mr. Dobos. Uh, we're really grateful to have uh, been able to interview. Uh, again, we're here in the 11th uh, Geopolitical uh, Conference in Prague, organized by Charles University, by the Masters in Geopolitics Studies. So you're going to have some information about it uh, below. Thank you very much again. Uh, we hope to have you again in the, in the podcast. And thank you all that you're listening or watching, and we'll see you in the next time in the next Geopolitical Pickle episode. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for tuning in to Geopolitical Pickle. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we look forward to seeing you next time. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram for more behind-the-scenes content. And subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. Thank you, and see you next week.